You're listening to episode 59 of the Master Your Mind, Business, and Life podcast. Today's episode, well, it's deep. It's probably the deepest, rawest conversation I have ever had with a guest. And you know what? It is downright amazing. I love connecting with people who I've never met before and getting to know them on a real level. I could have talked to today's guest for hours. Like this could have been a Joe Rogan long conversation type of podcast. Um, But I do want to give a little heads up about today's episode that there may be some topics that may trigger you or are especially not very suitable for kids. So if you are around young family, um, slide on those headphones and put on those earbuds. Let's make sure that we're maintaining um, some comfort levels for families, okay? But before I introduce you to the mom of 18, yeah, you heard me correct, mom of 18, I wanted to give a quick reminder to review, rate, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever it is that you're streaming. If something resonates with you, tell me. I love when I get messages and comments on Instagram or Facebook um, and from listeners who are just telling me what hit them in the feels with that episode. Screenshot that you're listening to the podcast, share it on social media, tag me at MindBizLife, and I'll share it. Let's get this podcast into the homes, cars, and earbuds of many. Okay, are you ready to meet Jen Taylor, the mom of 18? You know what to do. Tune in, turn it up, Let's go. You're listening to Master Your Mind, Business and Life. Conversations with everyday world shifters, truth seekers, and rule breakers. Here's your host, Lauren Smith. Hey everyone, it's Lauren Smith. Welcome back to another episode. Today's guest is Jen Taylor. Jen is a mom of 18, a coach, speaker, published author, and the podcast host of a show called The Naked Podcaster. Jen, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you join me today. Thank you so much for having me on. You know, I mentioned in the intro that you are a mom of 18 kids, and that, well, that just can't be for the faint of heart. So tell us a little bit about you, your journey, your family. Who is Jen? That's an awesome question. And no, it's not uh, for the faint of heart. Also, yes, there's 18 kids. And no, there was no plan to do that. I want to make something really clear right away in the very beginning is that this is not a competition. I think often women immediately feel less than or compare themselves to or, oh my God, 18, I only have two. And I'm here to tell you, parenting is parenting is parenting. And being a woman is the same. And we should support each other and not compare and contrast. And so it doesn't matter if you're a woman ready to have kids or you have one and you can't imagine ever having a second one. Um, We're all kind of in this together. So the biggest thing about me and who I am is that women should just support each other and stop comparing so much. So who cares though I have 18? I've had more chances to fail miserably and I've been exposed to more issues that come up with parenting. And so that's made me an expert in that field to some degree. And ex- I use the word expert loosely. Right. I, I love that that's your message from the get-go because <laughs> it is so true. You know, everyone's a little bit different in their and just who they are as a parent, but we're all in it together regardless of the number. We certainly should be. Yeah. You're right. We're not all we're not all very mindful to it, but we definitely should be. I like that. Thank so, you. 
So um, 18, are they all biologically yours or is this like a, a blended family? Tell us a little bit about your family. Yes. So at 15, I went into a doctor. I was a virgin. So the first man that ever touched me below the belt was an OBGYN. <laughs> um, it was actually a really good experience. I had no negativity, no issues with having a man as a doctor, um, nothing odd, except he told me that I would most likely have trouble getting pregnant and would possibly need to go through infertility. I'm almost 49 right now. And I was 15 then. And I have no idea what he saw or felt or thought in that initial examination that would have led him to believe that I would have some issue with infertility, but I'm grateful because it planted a different seed. I had grown up in dysfunction, uh, very similar to foster kids. CPS actually came to the house once, and I remember watching her drive away, wondering why my sister and I weren't in the car, because Mm -hmm. I knew that our situation was not okay. Although as a child, I was probably about 10 then, as a child, you don't have anything to compare it to, but it doesn't feel right. And it shouldn't be like this. And you, you're not happy. It just doesn't feel good. But as a kid with no other, nothing else, uh, as a comparison, you don't know what's wrong or why it's wrong. It's how it's wrong. Or if this is what it's like in everyone's house. And she drove away and I thought I should be in that car Mm. and I'm, and I'm not. And so I grew up very similarly to foster kids. So when at 15, that OBGYN told me you might go through infertility, one, it planted the seed that I might go through infertility. So didn't that make that easier? Because I did go through infertility. Right. And it also made me realize that there are lots of ways to have families and giving birth to a child wasn't necessarily one of them. Mm. I didn't, of course, consciously process all of that information at that moment, right. but it certainly did plant some seeds for later on. So I did go through infertility. I went through um, about nine months for, for women who have been on infertility, this will make complete sense. I went through seven day surgeries. You're, you're trying to rule out what could possibly be the issue when you've gone one year with no birth control, no pregnancies, no miscarriages. And I had had no cycles for a year after getting off the pill. Wow. And I was married at 19. So I was really, really stupidly young. However, we wanted to have kids and nothing happened for a year. And so I automatically go to infertility. Right. I was maxed out on Clomid um, I, for ovulation. I was maxed out on Provera to induce a cycle. So they were, I, I was on a very strict cycle. And I went through those seven day surgeries. It was about nine months. And the doctor told me that the next step was in vitro. They couldn't figure out what was going on, but something was definitely going on. My hormone levels never reach. I think it's estrogen. It's been 28 years now. So cut me a little yeah. slack. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the hormone should have been 10 to 12 and it was never above 0.3. Wow. So we knew that there was this massive issue, but not really sure where it was coming from or why it was happening. And I'd had these surgeries. And for anyone who's been on medication for infertility, it feels like you need an exorcism. Mm. I'm, you're not yourself. You know, it, it feels like someone else came and lived in your body and it's not someone that's your alter ego, the cool, you know, rebel part of your personality. Right. It's like the psychotic, neurotic, angry um, switch. Yeah, you, know, you it's being pumped full of so many hormones, I can imagine. Right. Yeah. So, and you're taking your temperature every morning and you're regulating sex and like nothing in your life is fun at all anymore. Right. 
even sex, the most fun part of your relationship. It's like the icing on the cake, right? And out the the window. Like, like things might be tough, but at least we get to get have sex. And no, no, nah, it's not even fun anymore. Yeah. So I told him I was not willing to do in vitro for the ladies out there that have gone that route. Amen and God bless, because I knew that that was not in the cards for me. I felt very okay at that point, walking away from infertility and just thinking, you know, this will happen either as a fluke organically, or maybe down the road, I'll be willing to do it. And I knew your, your highest chances of becoming pregnant are right around that 2021 20, age. Yeah. And I didn't care. I, I mean, it's not that I didn't want to have kids. It's that the, the fear of not having them wasn't as great as the, the lack of desire to go through in vitro. Right. I get so that. I told him no. And he was weaning me off of all the medication. And I went in and had blood work done and I went to an appointment and this was like, I, I lived in Hawaii at the time in Oahu mm. and he was uh, such an amazing man, just really gentle person, um, short, small, you know, man. And he came in real quiet, but very direct. And he hugged me at which is never anything you expect going into a doctor's appointment. Exactly. Yeah. And he said, I got your blood results back and you're pregnant and you're pregnant off of the cycle that we put you on. So you spontaneously, you spontaneously released an egg off of our cycle and you became pregnant. This is your miracle from God because it will probably never happen again. And he was choked up and it was, that was very pivotal. Yeah. So I was pregnant and um, that pregnancy was very difficult. And when Brianna was born, she was born with a lung disease. I was supposed to go to a midwife at a birthing center and midwives are very intuitive. Mm. And she looked at me at about 37 weeks and I was showing signs of labor and she said, something's not right. And I'm referring you, you have a choice of these two hospitals. And I, I was in New England at the time and I picked the Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Hospital in Lebanon, New Hampshire. It's a training facility. And it saved my daughter's life. They told me when she was born, she wouldn't live through her first weekend. And that the first time I would hold her would be after she passed away. Oh my gosh. And I was at that point, uh, my husband at that time was Air Force. I was alone. I was 21. I was afraid. I was young. I, I was very inexperienced and I did a really great job handling it all. Wow. I also this whole situation of infertility and the lung disease and the separation in the air force and being super young, I got married at 19, uh, a year later we were divorced and I was a single mom. So that whole situation made me realize one, I was done with infertility and I felt completely content. Not because I gave birth to a child who lived, who wasn't supposed to. She's 27 now. 27 oh, beautiful. Yay. So Bree's 27 and a half. Um, she's amazing. But the whole process, the entire process, the, the toll it takes on the relationship, the toll it takes on the woman's body for infertility, the fact that I would jump right into in vitro, even though I'd had a child, I was, I was told and I had seen another specialist and they're like, no, we would pick up where we left off. We wouldn't, we're not going to try this naturally or put you through any of that other, the stuff you've already done, you would start where you left off. And I just knew that wasn't an option. So I went into my next relationship hey, I want to have a family. I probably can't have kids. I'm okay with that. I want to do foster care. I grew up this way. 
And I wanted, I had a third grade teacher that made such a pivotal difference in my life. It completely changed my trajectory. And because of that, I would prefer to pay it forward as opposed to, I'm not going to perpetuate the cycle. Uh, Brie was three at that time. And so I went into my next relationship with so much information about myself and my situation and who I was and the direction I wanted to go. And so I think that was a really healthy place to come from. So I did foster care. And I was able to get pregnant six more times. I was pregnant seven times. I had four deliveries and three miscarriages. Mm. And the last miscarriage was twins at right about 19 weeks. And it resulted in a DNC, a hysterectomy, and then a follow-up surgery because I was bleeding internally. And I had five blood transfusions and I was dead on the table at 33 years old. Wow. (laughs) I mean, my, my experience with pregnancy and delivery and surgeries. I've had 10 surgeries so far for these kids, seven before and three to wrap things up. And I've had seven pregnancies and I've gone through three three miscarriages and I had four deliveries. And after Brie, the next three were actually with a midwife. They were home births. I had the last two, they were water births. And my my pregnancies were super tough every time. Mm -hmm. My deliveries were amazing every time. They were long and they were difficult, but they were amazing, wonderful experiences. And uh, then I was doing foster care at the same time. So four biological. Wow. And then doing foster care, I, I had adopted four. Wow. And I had two that had been, one was a foreign exchange student and one was long-term in foster care. That is so amazing. You are so amazing. <laughs> well, so that's only 10. But yeah. I really <laughs> love doing foster care. Um, I, I stopped about uh, nine years ago and I actually worked in foster care. I, was, I had had so much experience that I trained foster parents to work with treatment level kids, which are the hardest, the toughest kids out there, the kids that are either coming to and from juvenile hall or to and from a mental hospital. They're they're the kids that are in the the most difficult situations that have been through the most trauma. And I trained parents to work with them. Mm -hmm. And I did that for a couple of years. So I I really love my experience. And I had those 10 kids and two of them were not in the house. There were eight at home and I was divorced again. Wow. So, you know, I just published a blog article yesterday and we're in middle of September of 2019 about how divorce has always been my biggest failure. And, and that's a sad thing. It's the thing that I've been the most embarrassed about because kids are involved, I think is the baggage that I carry from that. I I don't, I have no intention. There's fallout. The other person got hurt in the process and I had kids that were exposed to the situation, even if it wasn't horrible or traumatic or abusive or any of those things. It was the end of a relationship. It was a parent of theirs. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a lot of fallout from divorce. I feel a tremendous amount of guilt from that and sadness from that. Even though retrospectively, you know, 15 years later, I, there wasn't really any other option. Yeah. You, you see now, you see the lessons from it and you see the blessings from it. Um, but have you forgiven yourself for it? 
Yeah. And that's the biggest part. It's not, I think we get caught up on forgiving the other person or forgiving the situation. And it's really not about that. It's forgiving right. yourself. You, yeah. and, and I had to go through that from being a kid. I mean, if I'm a kid that grew up in a house where I should have been in foster care, that means I was molested. Mm-hmm. I lost my virginity th- through rape. I was held in a corner and and a fist was put right so that it was almost touching my face. And I was just punched repeatedly <sighs> Well, there wasn't really much contact, but I was held in a corner and punched out repeatedly. So it just barely touched me. You know, people are good about being physically abusive and not leaving marks. And that was a lot of the experience that I had growing up being mm-hmm. kicked out, being on the street, having a bag under my bed, ready to leave and thinking as a little kid, I was doing something wrong in a relationship later on, that it was my fault or I was doing something wrong or I had failed. And at some point, you have to look at the whole situation and realize there wasn't a right or a wrong. Right. I went through therapy every time. And um, there's a point where there's no meeting in the middle anymore. And it's unfortunate and it's hard. And I'm not an advocate for divorce and I'm not an advocate for staying in a relationship that is over essentially, but it did affect these kids. So I had eight kids at home 14 years ago and I kept doing foster kid care and there were 10 total. So I adopted another one and I had three more that were long-term with me. So I had 14 kids and I was a single mom Wow! and I, I had nine at home and then Brie was turning 21 because time is passing And so she had just moved out and Brianna and I worked together. I was the manager at a small office and she and another woman that worked there, we were all pretty close and they fixed me up. Um, And it was a, that was, that was a really fun, crazy, (laughs) silly, just fun experience for me. They were, they were vetting my dates basically. So they would meet people for coffee to see if that person was worth introducing to me and so I went on a couple <laughs> dates so they sent me on a date with Dane and I was so not interested really, really? I was hum- <laughs> it was oh no I was humoring them my friends right and um you know they would tell me some stats you know about him and I just I was like you've got to be kidding me I wanted I because I got to pick and choose right my my dates I'm five foot nine. They have to be at least six feet tall. Yeah. I got standards okay. here. Yeah. I mean, I have <laughs> yeah. that's the most important one. Yeah. So, mine too. I'm, I'm not as tall, but I'm tall too. So yeah, you have to be taller than me. Yes. He was only an inch taller than me. So I'm like, I'll tower over him in heels, which I love to wear, you know? And, um, he had four kids, which I, there's, I have no fault. Like I have 14 at this point. Yeah. Even though there's eight at home, I have 14 kids. And um, so four kids, I can't really say anything about. So that wasn't an issue. Four kids. I did not want to date anyone who's, who's had kids that were younger than my youngest. And he was 11 at that point. Yeah. And so, like so sufficient. Yeah. And I just like, like maybe an eight or nine year old, 10 year old, but I really didn't want to go back. My kids were like 11 to 21 at that point. You know, I'm, I'm kind of done with that phase. He had a four year old. She, and she was just turning four that week. And I'm like, Oh no. And his wife had died. So I'm like, so he has four kids, a four year old and his wife died and he's an inch taller than I am. (laughs) 
So I'm just looking at them like, what about this is screaming? I should meet this guy, yeah, you know, like run away. Maybe <laughs> like, this is a lot, <laughs> but, <laughs> and so my friend Lacey, who's like, she's like the fantasy football tomboy. Oh, right? yeah. And she looks at me and she's got tears in her eyes. And she says, Jen, this is the one. And I was like, are you seriously crying right now? Like, what? do I need to slap you? What does it matter with you? Like, I'm sure he's the one for someone, yeah. but probably not me. I, I'm telling you, like, it was like. Complete denial here. I'm like, this is not happening. Seems really great. Like, I love everything about this situation. Super fun. Right. But no. I'm like, look, I'll meet him. Because you've vetted him. We've gotten this far. We've, right. we've made a friendship deal. We pinky <laughs> promised, okay? So we, I didn't know what these people looked like when I went on dates. So when, once they vetted him, and they didn't end up meeting him, Dane got into a car accident. He was T-boned. Oh. He was supposed to go to Florida for a golf tournament. And he played basketball, he played golf, he bowled, he was really good at all of them. So real athletic, which was something that was important to me, just that healthy lifestyle mindset. Right. He was, so they were going to meet him when he got back and then I was going to meet him. So he was T-boned and it broke his collarbone. So he couldn't go to um, Florida to go to this golf tournament. So instead, so he told, he, he, he contacted Lacey and Bree and said, hey, I'm not going to the golf tournament because I was in a car accident. I'm on pain meds, so I can't drive right now. But I just want you to know that, you know, we're supposed to meet next week. We can probably meet sooner because now I'm not going. And they were like, actually, through this whole correspondence, Lacey was just like, he's the one. So they didn't meet him. They're like, no, we're going to do not pass go. Do not collect $200. You're going straight to the meeting with Jen. And I'm like, like, what? Yeah. This is not part of our pinky promise. Yeah, this is not what we arranged here, ladies. <laughs> so I, that would be the point, though. When they met the person and vetted him, I would get their, the cell number. They'd hand me a slip of paper with a cell number and be like, so go funny. meet. Go meet. Yeah. And so, so I texted him for about five days before we met. We had one phone conversation. And I really tried to put men off. Yeah, I, I didn't want a relationship. And I, you know what? I don't even want you to talk to me. And sex is the easiest thing to get in the world. So right. I don't need to find that. Like I, I have people that I've been friends with for years that I feel safe and comfortable with. If I want to just have sex because I need the physical release, right. I, I have an activity partner. Okay, right. I can, <laughs> That's easy. So I don't need anything in my life right now. And I'm not into Tinder swiping and all of that crap. I've never done the online dating thing. Right. So I was really not interested and I, I didn't want to waste my time and someone else's time. And I had a bad attitude actually. I mean, not in the sense that I wasn't nice to people, but like, what is the point of doing this? Just like put off from it. Just like, I was, I was very put off. Yeah. That was the put off is a perfect perfect yeah. way to describe me. Cause I wasn't, I had no ill intent. I'm not yeah. being a bitch, but I just, yeah. Right. So yeah, I can't, I can't fake it around people. No, like if, if I don't I have to care. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> I, we were texting and <laughs> Brie would say to them, don't tell them how many kids you have. Don't send them to your website. Do nothing. 
We are handling everything. Just see how you actually connect with people before bringing all of that on. And my whole thing was like, oh, no, I'm going to tell them all of the things so that they just don't even want to meet me. So Dane and I had text for a few days and we had one phone call. And I finally said to him, and we had planned on meeting five days later. So actually right around the time that he should have been meeting Lacey and Bree, he and I were meeting and he should have been home. He was, he would have been home like two days later from Florida from this golf tournament. So because he got into this car accident, we ended up meeting uh, a week or so sooner. And, um, he, and it, and also I didn't have other meetings with Lacey and Bree with their whole their whole system here, their whole program to get Jen on dates Um, because of that, because Lacey really felt like this guy was important for me to meet before I met anyone else. It was very aggravating. And so I finally said to him, do you have a computer? And he said, yes, I do. And I said, go to momof18.com and go to the about page. And then if you still want to talk to me, I'll hear from you in a little while. And he knew, he said he knew, he said he knew when he read the information about me and cause they were doing it online, but I right. had nothing to do with it. When he read all the information before my picture loaded, he was like, Oh my gosh. And he was going online because he had been so just disheartened by the whole situation that he, his wife had died a year and a half earlier he, he just was so disheartened by everything that he was going to remove his profile and just focus on his kids, which he did really well already, and just not worry about dating. And so th- that was the point in time that he saw my information. And with my information, you had to read through it. This isn't Jen you're talking to. Yeah. This is Lacey and Bree, her daughter and close friend. And we are vetting this. She's never seen this site. She doesn't know anything about it. I just answered questions that they could fill in the blanks on, right. on the online site. So anyone who didn't say, wow, I read this and hi, Lacey and Brie were instantly deleted. Right? right. And so it was a really fun process. So anyway, I had enjoyed texting him so much that I wanted to put him off. Mm. I had enjoyed the conversation for the first few days so much that I was like, I don't want to meet this guy because this is not where my head's at. So he goes on and he said, I knew it. And I'm so excited. I've always wanted to do foster care. And I love what you've been doing and what it said. And I was like, oh, what did you think then? Like, what was like that, your mindset in that moment? Well, you know, texting relationships are so much different. And it's like, it's like a face we put on social media. Mm -hmm. It's such a, it's, it's our, it's our highlight reel. Right. And I felt like there was a high potential of this text conversation being a highlight reel. And I wasn't being cynical. I was right. being honest. Like yeah. I am very, very 150% raw and honest all the time. I, my, I don't have a highlight reel. Well, and it sounds like you just know yourself really well. I do. So, I do. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. I, but I know that in this space of social media or or dating or getting to know someone, it's very much a highlight reel. And so I was thinking, all right, well, if this is all genuine, then wow, that, that would be astounding. So we, we get one thing that I loved about Dane was that he was very openly sarcastic. Uh, And so like I got his humor and he really (laughs) made me laugh in text. So he, he works um, like 
back then he worked at like two in the morning until like nine or 10 in the morning. And so I, um, he texted me and he said, I overslept. We were supposed to meet at whatever time, 11 or 10, whatever I overslept. I'm going to be late. Is it possible to push it back an hour? And so because of that, yeah, no problem. And we met at a different location. So I pull up into the parking lot, of course, in a place where I can sit back and watch. Right. And, um, he's texting me and he said, I'm, I'm at this place, which was the wrong place, the original place. And I said, that's too bad. I guess this is just not going to work out today. And I'm watching him walk across the parking lot. Oh <laughs> my gosh. <laughs> and I'm like, that's really too bad. I'm going to go home and you know, it's too bad. This didn't work out. And I'm so sorry. We're in the wrong place. And he was like, no way. And I'm walking towards him across the parking lot at this point. <laughs> so I'm, I'm watching his body language and, um, was he I like sweating it? No, we were, well, a little bit, maybe. Yeah. But he was like, maybe she thinks I'm serious, you know. And um, I introduced myself and we hugged. And I was like, oh, God, I'm, I know I'm in trouble already. Yeah. So we've, if anybody's read books about body language or knows anything about NLP, I was very put off still. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought I was in trouble. He's super cute. He's very sarcastic. We hugged. Like, it was all good. So I have my arms crossed and I'm leaning back and he starts to mimic my body language, which at the time I wasn't picking up on because I was just put off. But what that does is that automatically makes that other person relax because you're mimicking their body language and you, you are not threatening at all. Mm. And there was a point in the conversation and we both remember it. This is so frustrating to admit, but I was laughing and I uncrossed my arms and I leaned forward onto the table, onto my elbow. And I was laughing and you know, my hands are open and I'm having direct eye contact. And at that point he thought I've got her. Right. (laughs) Right. I I relaxed and I opened up. And from that moment, we've never not been together. Wow. So it's been years now. So what a beautiful story. Yes, and you know what's so cool about podcasts is that they go in a different direction. I've never shared my story. Oh, really? I feel no, so honored. I've never oh. shared my divorces. I've never shared meeting Dane. Oh, well, my heart is like so full right now. Yeah, I just, I love that we've just, if, if you have a podcast or you're used to interviewing, you just let it go and I just yeah. let it go and so did you. And I it love was so it. Fun. I know, I'm so yes. excited. I'm always so, just like, I, I'm so open to wherever conversations go, you know, just, but no expectation on it and see what flows with the and end of that day. And it's the best way. I yeah. love it. I so love yeah, it. We've never not been together. And I always joke, like I have his, I have his, um, his wife's ashes in my closet. And I mean, at first I was like, when we are in our relationship went very quickly in, in the beginning, it was, you know, he worked an opposite shift than I did. And he had four kids and I had eight kids at home and we lived across town in Reno. Right. And this is really interesting. I think sometimes the universe steps in because very honestly, if he and I were both sitting here, he would say, she asked me to move in. And I, I, I honestly, I did not ask him to move in. And I said, <laughs> no way. We had a conversation one day and you said, let's do it. I want to move in with you. And I was like, oh my God, I'm not sure that I'm ready for this. And we're going to have 12 kids in the house and we've only been dating a few months. And I'm, I, I knew that if we didn't make a massive change in the relationship, we weren't going to stay together just logistically. Mm -hmm. It would not have worked really long term. But 
And I knew that I really, really cared for this guy. I loved him and his kids. And I was working through the four-year-old parenting thing again. You know, there was a lot going on. There's 12 kids at, at the house. Yeah. We were spending as much time as we possibly could. And it was exhausting, honestly, for both of us, just logistically exhausting. And I knew that long-term we couldn't keep it going but I also didn't feel super ready to move in. And, and legitimately, he's like, no way. I didn't feel ready to move in. And you said you wanted me to. And I'm like, that, that is not how this goes. I mean, we are 100% on the same page. And I think the universe stepped in because when we look at back at those conversations, we genuinely both think the other person wanted to move in. And we genuinely felt not ready. Yeah. Man. And, and we did. We yeah. did it. Because the, uh, we felt, okay, if this other person is in it that much, then we should make a go of this. We yeah. both felt that way, and we have exact opposite stories. That's so funny. But, but I, think, I, think I think there's we a have level divine of like, intervention. Yeah, there's like a level of like safety and comfort when you, maybe it was just your, each other's perceptions at the time, but feeling like wanted almost like this person needs me or like wants me here. So like, maybe it was just, yeah, I love that. You call it like divine intervention of the universe. It, there was some intervention because yeah. we very honestly, both still to this day are like, like no, nope. when we tell us the story, we get to that point. I'm like, okay, here we go. Right. Here's here where is. you lie. And um, <laughs> so it's become a joke. And he's like, oh, you mean where you lie? And I'm like, whatever. Yeah. I, just, I think sometimes there is divine intervention of the universe. And it For doesn't sure. matter what your higher power is. Mm. I know 150% there was divine intervention there. And both of us were not ready. And both of us think the other person was. Yeah. Thank God for that, right? Your because spirit guys were just like kicking it all into it. Oh like. my God. <laughs> they were from the beginning. Yeah. Um, my fantasy football friend getting tears in her eyes telling me this is the one. And I literally was like, who are you? <laughs> from the beginning, there was, uh, there were all these signs. Not only that, so I have, let me finish. I have his wife's ashes in my closet oh, just yes. because people are like, what the hell? Wait, yeah, go back. Yeah. <laughs> so when she passed away, she was only 33. Mm. Um, actually the same age I was dead on the I, table. I was about to say that. I was okay. about to say that. Yeah. I am older than she is I, by eight years, but mm. she was four years younger than Dane and I'm four years older than he is. I'm a total cougar and we can completely talk about that. <laughs> um, so the other thing is, so she had a younger sister and her sister was about 15 when she died, when her, when Danielle died. So what Dane did was, because when, when I'm like, your wife's ashes are in my house, I, I need to wrap my head around this just a little bit. So yeah. what, what's happening here emotionally with everyone? So right. his three older kids were all the same ages of my older kids. So they were, um, like now we have three 19 year olds and they are mine biologically, Dane's biologically and one that's adopted. So, right. So (laughs) his kids are all that right now they're 19, 21 and 23, which is the same age as three of my kids. And then there's like this for my youngest, there's an eight year gap. And then the youngest. So he had this big, he had a 10 year gap before his youngest was born. And, um, uh, so that's, that was one thing. He already had an age difference that he was accustomed to, that I was not accustomed to. So his older kids, of course, were in a different place when, when 
she died, then the youngest was just two. Mm-hmm. Um, and he saved some of Danielle's ashes so that when her little sister got older, if she ever made contact, that he could give her those ashes and she could have closure with her sister's death. So, oh, oh right. Okay. So you go from creepy to, oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> like instantly. Okay. Yeah. Now I feel differently because so much time has passed now. Right. It's not um, as, as raw. Feel, right. I feel like, like his older two are boys and they don't need any closure. They're okay. They were, they were a little older. They're good. My 19 year old, his, excuse me, see, because they're all mine, his 19-year-old daughter, I think, still does need closure, but I think she'll end up having that with our youngest when our youngest gets older. So Taven's almost 10 now, oh, wow. and I think that because she was two and her mom was taken, regardless of the situation, with the why or the how or the what, um, and it's hard and she's going to need to process that herself. So I think where he was saving the ashes for Danielle's younger sister, it's actually going to be a process that he'll go through Mm. with Taven and Abby. Yeah. Likely. Yeah. Um, And I, but I, but it's such a beautiful thing that I'm very, I feel blessed that I have her ashes. Yeah. Also sacred almost. She died 37 weeks pregnant with his son. (laughs) And the day that ended up getting chosen through his accident and Lacey and Brian, all of the things that were going on, his medication and his doctor's appointments and all of that, the day that we met was Daniel's birthday. The universe, these synchronicities are just like too wild. Like, <laughs> I would love to have somebody just... Who can't make this shit up? <laughs> I cannot make this shit up. And we didn't... Re- and of course... This is hindsight. I would love somebody to go back and like figure out where the every little ones, yeah. Read my palm and like whatever. Put all the information together and tell me. And for a long time, and and I had a hard time with this, but for a long time, I kept finding dimes. We had moved in together, and I kept finding dimes. Like I would sweep the floor, walk in, and there'd be a dime on the floor. Mm -hmm. That sort of thing. And it it was happening with so much frequency. There would be dimes in the dryer. You know, like they were freaking everywhere. It bothered me so much. My best friends look up what it means. And, and if you believe in this stuff, which I might not have, but I definitely did after that, it means that there's someone watching over you from the other side that's letting you know it's okay and that they support you and that you're doing fine. Mm-hmm. And I had to sit down with myself and just say, Danielle, I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that you're here, but I need you to back off a little bit. <laughs> because like emotionally I a lot. I need you to not be so present is how I felt for a while and then I told Dane about the dimes and I told him what it meant and like you can think that I'm hoo-hoo and what woo-hoo whatever I don't care at right. this point I feel like I am too but um so I didn't realize this at a time but there was one point where I was like okay I just found three dimes and he looked at me and I'm like what and he's like I'm sorry I've been I've started leaving them after I Oh them. my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> I'm like you <laughs> <laughs> which is part of his sarcastic he's right. like I'm just messing with you I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> the whole thing is, you know, I mean, I love his sarcastic fun personality that I I really felt like I need I need a little bit of separation in this situation, whether it's me conjuring it up because, you know, 
Right. I, it's like when, you, when you've never seen a Jeep before driving on the road, but you buy a Jeep and now you see them everywhere. It isn't yes. that there weren't Jeeps on the road. It's that now you have an awareness so aware. of it. Yeah. So I felt like in that hyper aware stage and whether part of that was me never have seen a Jeep before because I didn't have one and I didn't realize my, whether it was my awareness um, or it, w- it doesn't really matter. There was a point where I needed a little separation. And so it was a very interesting process. And so you asked me, how did I get 18 kids? I had four biologically. I adopt five. I had five that were long-term, somehow aged out, that never left, but I never adopted. And then I had four from the relationship I'm in now where his wife passed away. And that's how we got 18. And we did have 12 at home instantly. And we had 12 at home for a long time. And... um, there were massive, I had done foster care for so long and taken in extra kids, but taking in four kids at once, I had never done. And taking in this type of situation, I had never done. Hmm. And in foster care is different because the parents aren't doing well. So you jump in and take over for them. But I had this very functioning, incredible man who was a great dad who parented his own way. That was a little, and he did great. But, and so did I but we didn't do things the same way. So there was a lot to navigate in this situation. In foster care, I take over. I just take over. Yeah. And I couldn't do that in this situation. And and my kids were very used to foster care and having kids. And even though I had stopped foster care about two years before I met Dane, um, my kids were really pissed that I wasn't doing foster care anymore. Actually, a lot of them, they really wanted me to keep doing it. Like I could have done it forever if I had had a big, huge house. And I, I would have been the person who did a really great job and had staff and started a group home. And I was actually at the point where that's what I would have had to do when I decided to if, stop. Right. If you went to continue. Like, no, I really can't do this. And it's, it's an affordability issue and it's uh, if I could have made it work, I would have. I mean, I was looking at like, maybe I could buy an old church or a hotel, but I didn't have the funding to do that. Then you're right. talking about being a nonprofit and it was just the so logistics. Big. Yeah. I was yeah. like, nope, I either need to go that route and have funding and backing or I need to just be done. But I was the parent that loved it and did it for the right reasons. I did four years of foster care for two kids without getting paid. Mm. And those two kids are two of the kids that stayed long-term. And so, I mean, it just, it is not feasible. So I had stopped a couple of years before and really felt like I needed to focus on the kids that I have because they have issues also. (laughs) They need parenting also. And I was doing a really good job, but I was also working full time and it either needed to become my job, raising kids needed to become my job or I needed to be done. So I had stopped. So, but my kids had never taken on four kids and a stepdad. Yeah, these, these kids were different dynamic, kids, right? Very different dynamic. So it was a really, really, um, we navigated it phenomenally well, and it was incredibly difficult. And three years in, you know, I looked at him and said, This isn't working, mm. and it really was not at the time. And it wasn't dysfunctional, it wasn't argumentative, and it wasn't, it, it was like this, this just. I don't, we're here and I don't know how to get through this or past this. And fortunately, I've hit that point before. And even if the person says, no, I think we can, and let's go to counseling and let's do this. 
we had three months that were so miserable. I would never want to live through them again. And they were also the point that we realized, oh my God, we really, really, not only do we love each other, but we really like each other. And this is really a hundred percent worth salvaging, even though a lot of damage has been done and we want to do that. But I think sometimes when you're at that point in a relationship, and this is why I'm not an advocate for divorce or for staying, you can say you're in it for the long term, and both of you really have to be. Yeah. And I find that in, in my situations, both were not. Or you are, but there are all these conditions. Right. And it can't, it 150% can't be like that. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's like, if you're going to, I feel like if you're going to do that, it has to be clean slate then. It's like two feet in. It can't be a one foot in, one foot out. Right. Like it's really two feet in, got to go all in on it. And I know that from this experience, having worked through it and getting to the other side, yeah, everyone that does that is, is right. Like it's so much better on the other side. No, you don't, you're not glad that it happened, but in a way you're so much closer than you were before. Mm. And yeah, you can get through some pretty horrible stuff that you didn't think that you could get through. And it's not about forgiving the other person only. It's not forgiving yourself also. Right. I, I mean, even in the staying, you have to forgive both. And man, forgiving yourself is a million times harder than forgiving someone else. A hundred percent. Oh my gosh. It's, and it's, it's deep too. Like it, it, it uh, goes yeah. back like many, 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 many layers. Like this is a full-pledged onion when you start pulling back the layers of how far back you have to forgive yourself. Because it, the baggage goes so deep. It's yep. everything It's everything from the child Jennifer failing mm-hmm. forward, right? And you have to both really recognize that, that it's not even always, it's not 100% about the situation of the person. There's that part of it. It's about your past and the baggage that you've brought in and how that is contributing to the situation. And I'm super thankful that I was with someone who believed in me and believed in the power of forgiving each other and our, and yourself. Right. And because I, I was out that door and he was like, no, I'm just going to leave the door open and talk to you while you're standing outside the door, you know, with your suitcase in hand, metaphorically. Yeah. And we're just going to, that's fine. You stay right there, right outside the door with your suitcase. And I'm just going to chat with you from this distance. And, um, that doesn't mean that he was this great, heroic, wonderful person through the process. But in the end, we both stood there and we never moved out. We were in the same home the whole time, but he allowed me to stand outside the door. And there are probably sometimes he was standing outside the door with me and then we both went inside and then I stood back outside. (laughs) You know, I mean, like it was this whole really tough three month process. And, and we, we let things come back very gently and I can't believe it still. It brings, it makes me tear up that years later, never once has he brought anything up from that time. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I have either. When we decided we were going to move forward past it, we have never had a situation where we use that against each other Mm. ever. That's powerful. That is, and that that's is powerful. true release. That is yep. true release. And I expected it for a really long time. I was just waiting for the shoe to fall. Yeah. Like, yes, everything's wonderful. But, and also, 
you know, the issues that you have in a relationship, like the big presenting issues aren't always the issues. And so we use that to really unearth the issues that we weren't even talking about. And, Mm -hmm. and, and man, that's tough. And um, it's it so really is. It. And to move forward from that, like the whole time that you were talking, all I kept thinking in my head was like, that is true healing. Like yeah. if you had to go through it, like anyone, you know, if, if you chose to have separated, you would have had to, to heal without the person, right? So it's like your own journey, but to go through it together and you're each healing your relationship together, but also healing separately as individuals, Whoa. Like, yeah, it was really, it was as powerful as yeah. you would hope or want it to be. Mm. And I feel super blessed in that because yeah. in my past relationships, one way or another, that person never stuck it out. Yeah. Whether it was this list of conditions that I had to meet in order for it to work out or, and legitimately that's how it was one time. No, I really want to work it out. I think we can get through it, but I have this list of conditions and you need to follow all of them. How um, do you think that that changed, changed you, that this experience of him, both of you being able to release it and walk past it and just truly, you know, overcome it because you didn't have that in your past relationship. So to me, it's like subconsciously, how do you think that that changed the way that you move, that you flow, that you're able to move forward? My baggage from being a kid was that I wasn't worth it. Mm. And I was. Yeah. It was in that moment it was proved to you. I mean, I am every day that we're together past that point. Right. Um, he's chosen me every single day and I've chosen him. I mean, it's definitely a two sided two way street, right. uh, you know, and it was great to be able to feel okay with my baggage. Like I, I felt okay myself, but you're right. It's different when there's another person, you can work through a divorce or the ending of a relationship or feeling unworthy as a child or all of those things on your own. But to do it with someone is intensely powerful and very raw in a way like by yourself, it's just by yourself and it's good and you need to do it. And I had worked through a lot on my own and so had he, thank God. Yeah. But we, we had never, neither, neither one of us had ever been in a relationship where we successfully worked through the situation together and we're able to unearth all of that baggage. And mm. it's scary. It's really scary. And then also moving forward, I could unearth my own baggage that I'd worked through by myself with you on a podcast, but right. I could never have done it at the level that I do it because I've worked through it in a relationship with someone else. Right. It changed how we parented our kids in some ways because we were much more raw and honest. Yeah. Everything changes. Everything changed. It's a brand, it's a brand new book almost. Right. And we were able to parent the kids better together because that was one of, it's really, it was, this sounds so weird, but when you take two parents that are really phenomenal, wonderful parents, he is an amazing parent, but so am I, but we do things very differently. And now we're in this situation where for some of the older kids, we weren't really 100% parenting together because you're a step parent of an yes. older child. And so it's very different, right? We, what we did in that instance is if it was one of his kids and a situation with them, I step back and allow him to parent that even if it, if it directly affects me and my kids, because I honor that he's a good parent and that 
I am the outsider looking in, in this situation. And I need to kind of stay there. That is my place. There's nothing wrong with being a step parent who has to take a step back. There's right. nothing. I'm not like being put in my place. Right. I am standing true in the place that I'm in. There, there is nothing wrong with that except the attitude that we look at it. Yeah. Likewise, there's nothing wrong with being a step parent and having to step forward. And I, I've done that also. Exactly. But it's a different role where you are actually parenting the child with the child. Mm. Like with them as part of it, they're on board for it. And at times that role means you step back and I allow Dane to step into his parenting role from a distance. And I don't 150, uh, let's say I don't hundred percent agree with the process. That, yeah. that does not matter. That doesn't matter. He has their interest and my interest in the situation's interests at heart. He's doing a phenomenal job and we don't have to agree on the process of it. I need to allow him to step into his greatness as a parent in that pro- and trust him. Yeah. And I need to let that kiddo know, look, this affects me, but I'm going to completely honor your dad in this situation. Yeah. And honoring and allowing doesn't mean agreeing all the time, mm. but it also doesn't mean there needs to be an argument. It's honoring and allowing, right? So there was a lot of that that we did really well, but we did even better afterwards. Yeah. We always honored each other and parented, but man, there was a paradigm shift where I think we just respected each other at a much higher level. Yeah. It was. It sounds like there was just a whole energy shift, like whole vibration. There was an energy energy shift. shift. Yeah. Yeah. And it was good before it was phenomenal. After. Like, man, so what is your secret to not losing yourself and your identity? Like you, you've had all these ups and downs in life and uh, twists and turns. So, you know, I, I can only speak from a mom of two and I know that I neglect myself and my needs on the regular. And I so I'm interested how you keep up with, with staying true to yourself because I can tell that you are just, I am. Yeah. And I love this question, and I think it's a great segue from where we've been taking this. I know what I liked before I had kids. Mm -hmm. I was healthy. I ate healthy. I wanted to stay fit and active. So the whole healthy lifestyle is something important to me, which means for one, one way or another, I have to honor myself by having some form of exercise. And it's changed over the years. When my kids were little, I had VHS tapes. Right. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) Brianna's 27 and a half here, people. (laughs) And I had a lot of kids at home and my kids are very close in age. Um, And even Dane's kids, of those core 13, if you don't count the the five that kind of are extra kids that stayed long-term, those core 13, 12 of them were born in 10 years. Wow. And then we have a seven-year gap. I mean, so we have two 23-year-olds, two 21-year-olds, three 19-year-olds, two 18-year-olds, two seven. You know, I mean, like, that, that's our life. I had three kids in diapers. I was doing foster care and had kids in and out. So it, when my kids were younger, I was breastfeeding, too. I was pregnant all the freaking time, it seemed like, you know, the woman who's <laughs> pregnant, or having miscarriages or whatever, having surgery. Yeah. Um, I had like a little home gym and did a lot of body weight and had VHS tapes Mm -hmm. and I would wake up early. I'm a morning person. So one, figure yourself out. People who are like, well, I'm not a morning person, so it won't work for me to get up at 4.30. Great. Do it at 9 p.m. Just flip flip the script. Um, I figured out who I am. I'm a morning person. I need the outlet of physical exercise. And so I will find a way to do that because it's a priority. Mm -hmm. Um, 
we have not had cable TV most of the last 27 years. And so that's a huge, like everything was on. I lived in Alaska for 10 years, so it was easy to not have it because it was (laughs) accessible. So everything for me was like, if it wasn't a DVD or Netflix, it didn't happen. So I think there was a lot less TV in our house growing up for the most part Mm. for a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of years. And then... Um, we had different priorities because people can, you, we can waste a lot of time on social media or on watching right. TV and it just wasn't what we were wasting time on. So I love being outside. I love being fit. I love eating healthy. So I think one, you have to get to know who you are. I know what I love before I have kids. I don't think you have to stop it. Although you do have to alter it. Mm. And, and people that say, oh, having kids change everything, I had to give everything up, are 100% wrong. And people that say you can do everything that you did before having kids after are wrong also. (laughs) There's a balance in between. Yeah. There, there has to be, and, and it's almost like it's a new phase. So it's almost also a new you, you know, figure out what you can do, take, take parts of it and implement it into your new flow. It doesn't mean you have to lose yourself. It's almost like you're just reinventing it. Right. Exactly. And so I think it's a combination of, of all all of those things. You, you do give up some things or they change and you do keep doing things if you want to, and you can do that. So I just figured out, you know, I'm a runner, so I run and I get up at four 30 in the morning to go running Yeah, and I do it because that's the time that I could do it. And I have a group that fortunately meets early and there's lots of them. And that's the outlet that I liked. And my kids grew up knowing, I mean, there were times, and when they got older, they would run, ride their bikes while I run. And then they would start running with me. Right. And, you know, I mean, it just changes as they, I, I spent a couple of years after the hysterectomy, losing twins at 19 weeks and a hysterectomy. And that process, I gained 35 pounds after mm. the hysterectomy. I gained more weight in that than I did when I was pregnant. And it was like not natural. Gaining weight in pregnancy is like a natural reason. Right. And this was kind of a hysterectomy is not a natural reason to gain weight and the hormone fluctuation. So I gained 35 pounds and emotionally to get through that, I hired a trainer and I went to a gym and I did fitness competitions for a couple of years. And I wasn't planning on doing the fitness competitions. He just said, you know, you're like 34, (laughs) you've been through a lot. Your, your goal could be being in a fitness competition. I did several of them and I even won. But it wasn't really my thing, but it was a good goal. Mm. And I needed to feel like I had control over something in my life. And that's what I felt like I could have. And I wanted my body back. Yeah. And then I went on a shopping spree. I'm not pregnant or breastfeeding anymore. I want to buy a belt, buy shirts that I can tuck in and buy shoes that aren't so sensible. Yeah. For God's sake, you know? (laughs) So, I mean, I think you have to roll with life continues to happen. Mm. And yes, you have kids and they should be a priority, but like, put your oxygen mask on before someone else's. So you, you have to also be true to yourself and find that balance. And I think I have been very honest about where I'm at emotionally in this process. I also had kids and wanted them and loved it. And I think you have to have the right attitude. It's not that you didn't want your kids or love them. It's that there's, it's so much harder and more stressful than you thought it was going to be. Okay. So that's now where you at. You wanted them, you love it. And it's more stressful and more difficult than you ever imagined it would be. So that's your new place. So what are you going to do from this new place? And I've been really good at gauging that along the way. And I think women who go through empty nests, like what am I going to do now? Because my whole identity was part of my kids. That's unhealthy. Mm. 
and I did everything I wanted to do at the expense of my kids. That's unhealthy. So continuing to find that balance in between, it's a, a juggling act. And the thing that I get asked to speak and write on the most is finding balance and reducing stress. So what does that say? People yeah. are super stressed and they don't feel like their lives are balanced. I don't have an answer or a magic pill to how you're going to find that. What I can do is have an honest conversation with you about where you're at. And we kind of map out what that looks like, knowing that it's not a point A from point B. It looks more like Everest. Yeah. <laughs> you to have base camps where you have to stop and regroup. Yeah. And it's going to be a very windy, tough uphill battle. That doesn't mean it's not euphoric and the view isn't exceptional and it's not wonderful, but it's very much akin to having a Sherpa and climbing Everest. Yeah. That's what the conversation with me is like. That's what coaching with me is like. There's no magic answer because I don't have it. You're a different person that parents differently. So I wouldn't tell you how to parent. I would give you examples and you would figure it out. I couldn't tell you how to continue to find balance in your life, but I could give you an example and we could figure it out together. But, and it's going to change. You know, when your kiddos are little and they don't feel well, maybe you're breastfeeding. You're like, it's something that I ate and you have to figure it out. And by the time you figure it out, it's over anyway. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that's kind of like, that's sort of how it looks. Yeah. Or just, or just like when you're so exhausted because they're getting up Every night at the same time, you're like, is this ever going to end? Yeah. And then it ends. And then it's something else. And yes. then after that, then it's, you know, it's like a complete, they're teething then. And then after that, it's, it's always, it's continuously changing. It's just like, right when you feel like you have the grasp on it, boom, changes again. <laughs> exactly. So that's basically how I have managed to find balance. I remember what's true to me and I've done what's true to me. And that's an example to my kids. And there have been times, even when they were pretty little, that they were like, mom, why don't you go for a run? Not because I'm being a horrible mom and I'm a bitch because they know it's going to hit a reset button and I'm better for everyone, myself, them. They've recognized that I, I am the best version of myself when I take care of myself. And I think self-care is so overused right now, which is a shame because that's what it is. And then it's okay to be honest with your kids. You know what? I want to do homework with you right now. I feel really scattered and distracted. I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to be back in 25 minutes. I think it's kids are like so resilient in the way that they can just pick up on that. The other day we were um, going to, to back the school night and my oldest daughter just made a comment because for some silly reason, they just do it by last name and not by grade. So it caused me to have to be in two places at one time. And she made the comment. She's like, Oh great. Mom's just going to like, this is going to stress her out. Like I can already see it. And I was like, Oh, she's right. Like I was already feeling that way. But then I just really had to become more mindful to how I would react in that situation almost to prove her wrong. (laughs) But I also knew it was like, it was also more of just, okay, I need to change how I'm reacting in situations like this, because clearly it's enough that my kids are picking up on it. You know, it was like, it was kind of an eye opener to me of like, dang, kids are, (laughs) they're sharp. They 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 are sharp. So we need to give them a little more credit. And I think just really being honest, like um, I would come home from work with a whole bunch of kids in the house, 12 kids at home and need to make dinner and just switching gears into that atmosphere Mm. um, was so difficult to my drive home was like, okay, I need to 
decompress and let go of whatever the day was like right. and switch gears into being a mom. And now I'm coming into this situation where, you know, kids may not be getting along or the house may be a mess okay, or everybody's hungry and six people need homework. And, yeah. uh, and I need to, it's not like you're prepping yourself, but you kind of are, mm-hmm. but you're switching gears into that role. And as moms, we wear a lot of hats and we need to switch roles. And I think it's very good. There's all these studies about multitasking and how it's not possible to multitask, but you can be good at switching from one single task to another single task pretty quickly. And I think it's learning to go from one single task to another single task pretty quickly and just embrace it. And I'm not perfect. And it's okay that my kids know that. Right. And I get frazzled and it's okay that my kids know that. And then it's not about them and that we're all human. And I think being human with them and talking about the things that I like so that they felt comfortable talking about the things that they like. Right. Oh, you want, you want to be an artist and learn art. I can't draw a stick figure. So <laughs> yeah. how do we help you come into your own? You don't have to like running because I like running. Exactly. Um, but you were exposed to a healthy lifestyle. And so we have to continue to juggle the balls of work and parenting and being a partner and what we like compared to what they like. You know, Dane loves to golf. And so, of course, this is such a great example of how you can lose your identity. And he, he was a golf coach. He could, try, he could teach me to golf. And for Mother's Day this year, he surprised me and bought me golf clubs and spent way too much money. And it made me stressed out. And I told him that. And he's like, and then we can golf together. And so I went to the golf course with him and just kind of pretended. I always tell him, I'm like, how about if today I'm just the worst caddy ever? Yeah. And um, (laughs) I realized what I love about golf is actually from the caddy's perspective. Mm. This is the club that you should. And I said to him, "Um, we should take the golf clubs back for two reasons. One, we found them for less online, a lot less online. So if you buy them for me, I would prefer it to be at a highly discounted rate. Right. And two, how about if I learn the world of golf from a different perspective? Because I, as, as a, like a virtual assistant and like an, uh, an admin in my work life, I like learning the back end of how a program works and being able to navigate it. So when I looked at golf, I really loved it, but not from the perspective of playing. Right. I could have taken those golf clubs and been like, teach me now. And I want to do this. And, and I want to be just like you when I don't really care if I ever play a round of golf. And that doesn't mean that someday I won't. Right. He doesn't, he has run races with me. He's done a 5k, but he has no desire to do a half marathon. I think we take on the identity of other people and kind of lose our own because we want to be part of something. And we do that with our partner. And we do that sometimes at work or with friends or in a lot of different situations we kind of assume the identity of someone else and that includes our kids. Yeah. We're not living, we can live vicariously through our kids without assuming that identity or doing it in a way that's unhealthy. And I wanted to live vicariously through my kids' experience through them, not through me, not through my eyes. And so you see this as a huge example with those, there are even shows about it now, like the moms who are getting their kids in all of these like, um, pageants and stuff the pageant mom right okay that's the mom forcing the kid to live a life so that she can live vicariously if I'm living vicariously I want to do it through my kids eyes and I want it to be what they want to do exactly exactly how exciting is that to be able to share their journey from their perspective and not force our own agenda and I just have admitted that I, I don't want to be that parent and I don't want to ever have empty nest. We in, in next June, June of 2020, 
the last kid, except for our youngest, is out of the house. Wow. Whole we went from 12 kids at home a couple of years ago to, to one. one. And she's like a single and only child in a huge family. And she will be 10. And in, and in fourth grade, when she will finish fourth grade when the last one's out. And we knew five years ago, okay, this is what it's going to look like in five years. And we're not doing a countdown in the sense like, let's get all these kids out of the house. So we, yeah. you know, but like, we need to prepare ourselves that this is what it's going to be like. And we wanted to be a safety net for our kids. So what does that look like? Well, we were talking to a bunch of the kids, our older kids the other day, you know, being a safety net didn't mean we kept your bed set up and your room was a shrine. <laughs> so like when you got stuck, you always had a place to come. Right. And so my we, high school bedroom. <laughs> we, no, uh-uh. we're not those parents. Ours, ours is, we always want to be there for you. If we can help you financially, we will. We're there yes. to help you. If you need to crash on our couch for a couple of weeks, cool. But we've downsized our house as our kids have moved out because we're not living for them. We're living right. for us as a safety net to them. And we're navigating that really well. They know that we're 150% there for them. They know that what that looks like and it's healthy. So we're honoring who we are and our journey at the same time that we're honoring their journey. And I think that you just have to check in all the time to make sure that that's balanced. And so I balance it all because I've been honest with myself. And sometimes that looks a little brutal. Mm. You know, I mean, like I have to really check in and think, well, what's my motivation behind this? Yeah. And And it's the same with parenting. If your kids want to do something that you don't want them to do, I had to ask myself, is it physically or morally harmful? No. Then it's my problem. Yeah. It's me. It's my baggage. So I always told my kids, if it's not physically or morally harmful, I really don't have a problem with you doing it. Except sometimes I still do. So yeah. convince me. Right. Why is it a good decision to yeah. shave your head? <laughs> you know? And and they have to because I wanted them to be good decision makers. Exactly. And so yeah. we really you really to balance your life, you really have to check in. What what is your personal motivation that's dictating the situation? Mm. Why are you not doing the things that you loved before? Is it because you really can't right now or because you're not, because you're living through your kids' soccer games. Right. Why is it? And that's how you find balance. Dang. I feel like I could just continue to talk to you about this <laughs> all day long. But I know you also have a lot of valuable resources on your website. Um, where can our audience go to learn more about you and just connect with you further? The best place is momof18.com and it's M-O-M-O-F-1-8.com. I have every social media link. Basically, everything you never wanted to know about me is there. There's a, con- <laughs> there's a contact form. My Google voice number's there. Um, all my social media. You can search mom of 18, spelling it out, but, you know, and find me pretty much everywhere. And I, but what I love the most is tell me I'm wrong. Tell me you don't agree. Tell me you have a question. I, it's the connecting and collaborating and lifting each other up and being there in each other's space, you know, honoring where you are. That's the most important to me. So I really love the connection. So reach out. Yes. Oh man, Jen, this has been a beautiful conversation. Thank you for showing up Thank today you. and just sharing your light and your wisdom. You have just brought so much to the show and you are your mom goals. Let me, let me just say you are mom goals. So thank you Thank again you. so much. Thank you so much.
I would like to thank Jen for, again, opening up and being vulnerable about her journey on the podcast. I never know where the conversations are going to go, but it takes strength and courage to talk about the hard parts of our lives. And I think Jen is a great example that no matter which obstacle life is thrown your way, you always have the choice to rise. I've linked Jen's website and social channels on this week's episode notes found on mindbizlife.com. I'll see you back here next week for another episode, but until then, remember, every level of life is an opportunity to grow. Be well, my friend.